Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Since 2004, a group of committed people has coordinated an annual week-long 75-mile walk from Sasabe, Sonora, Mexico to Tucson, Arizona to call for an end to migrant deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border and to stand in solidarity with victims of global migration. In May 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, participants were unable to physically unite to remember those who have died crossing. To continue to raise awareness about migrant deaths and to help raise money for local border justice organizations, organizers launched an alternative migrant trail walk experience to bring people together in a virtual environment. Proceeds benefited Borderlinks, the Autumn Anti-Border Collective, Keep Tucson Together, and the No More Deaths Emergency COVID-19 Bond Fund. The Migrant Trail 2020 alternative experience included a week of daily reflections, videos, podcasts, and featured speakers. Today on 30 Minutes, our multi-part series continues with excerpts from attorney and activist Margot Cowan discussing community organizing and legal justice in the borderlands. Up first, Migrant Trail Organizing Committee member Olivia Mena introduces Margot Cowan. Uh, my name is Olivia Mena, and I'm a member of this year's organizing committee. I'm from Austin, Texas, and it's about my fourth or fifth year participating. I kind of lose track. I would like to introduce my esteemed friend, uh, Margot Cowan. Uh, Margot has been an advocate for migrant justice and, and just justice in general for for 30 years now, and she has been very involved in the Migrant Trail since our first journey together uh, in 2004. Prior to becoming an attorney, she was a farm worker organizer mentored by Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. Margot's efforts in the areas of border and immigration policy, um, as well as the representation of undocumented people and refugees uh, has spanned decades. She is in a defense attorney uh, for the Pima County Public Defender's Office. Uh, she's also lead counsel for the Sanctuary Movement. Uh, she's, this is Sanctuary Movement, for those of you who haven't heard of it, is where churches and synagogues uh, offer sanctuary to undocumented people facing deportation. Uh, she helped co-found the organization uh, No More Deaths, also one of our uh, regular kind of sponsors of uh, the migrant trail walk as well. And No More Deaths works to reduce the amount of deaths in the Arizona desert. Um, so we, you've heard their name of that organization's name a few times over the week because um, they kind of formed at the, about the same time we started walking. Margo is the project coordinator for Keep Tucson Together, uh, one of our beneficiary organizations this week that we're raising funds for. Uh, it's a grassroots pro bono project that is working directly with community members to stop deportations and separations of families in Southern Arizona. So Margot is gonna share history and perspective on the power of community organization and the legal fight for justice uh, in the borderlands. So I'll turn it over to you, Margot. Olivia, thank you very much. And 
It's a great honor for me to be here with everyone this evening. Before we start, I ask us all to take a moment of silence, to remember Mr. Floyd and his loved ones, everyone who's died at the hands of ICE, the Border Patrol Police, and the thousands, the thousands of children and women and men who've died fleeing persecution and walking to America for a better life. I ask us to reflect for a moment. Thank you. What I'm going to do is sort of give a brief overview of the development of immigration law and policy in our country, because I think that's important when we consider how we can intervene and how we can be most effective in our efforts at community organizing. One has to understand that immigration law and policy is always enforced in a political context. In other words, it really doesn't matter what the law is. It matters what the politic is at the moment. The first immigration laws in the United States were the Chinese Exclusion Acts in the late 1800s. And that's important for us to know because our immigration laws have always been race-based and they've always favored people from the original sending countries in Europe rather than Latin America or Africa or other China, other countries. The first legalization in this country, the first sort of creation of a code was in 1924. And, and what happened in 1924 is that the United States Congress said, anybody who's in the United States on, I think it was January 1st, 1924, is an American citizen. But it did two other things that were really important. It created two policy underpinnings in American immigration law that remain today. One is family unification. And the second is an acknowledgement of our country's need for foreign-born workers to support our economy. And those things remain um, the public policy underpinnings in our immigration code. But we've never been able to fully recognize, codify, and empower those two public policy concerns. We've never created a statutory scheme that supports either of those. Instead, we've had essentially up until the early 2000s on the southwest border, an open border. And so that was the way that foreign-born labor supported the American economy. And in times of depression, foreign-born workers were deported. In times of labor organizing, foreign-born workers were deported. And so it was an informal recognition and um, an ability to enter the country and work, except when it wasn't convenient for some reason. In 1948 was the next time that we said we're gonna legalize everybody who's in the United States. Although people in 1948 weren't made US citizens, they were made lawful permanent residents. It was in a, a thank you for all of the foreign born workers that worked in the war effort. Uh, we did it again in 1972. And that was a celebration of diversity in our country. And of course, that was a moment of uh, great celebration of civil rights. And we also celebrated the contribution of non-citizens to the arts, to writing, to work. 
But then the next time we did this was in 1986. And it was a dramatic public policy change from the thank you of the war era, from the celebration of diversity in the great civil rights era, to amnesty, to forgiving people for picking our crops and cleaning our toilets. And that was really the beginning of the development of dark public policy that we see uh, manifesting itself today. But we always have to remember that these laws are enforced in a wholly political context. So what do I mean by that? It, during the Obama years, for example, there was legislation that was passed in the Clinton administration, was called expedited removal. And what that meant is that anyone who's encountered within 100 miles of the border in 10 days of being of entering could be deported by a simple border patrol agent. They didn't have a right to see a judge. And so during the, the Obama years, when thousands of people crossed the border every day, there were thousands of deportations, not at the hands of judges, but at the hands of simple border patrol agents in the desert. But there was also something that we hadn't seen for many, many administrations during the Obama years, and that was an attempt to fashion relief through administrative action. And of course, that was the creation of DACA. That was the creation of public policies that said for the people that actually are put in removal proceedings in the interior, we're going to prioritize. And so we're going to put all of our efforts into removing people for whom there is no relief. For example, felons convicted of serious crimes. But we're going to administratively close cases that perhaps don't qualify for relief under current law, but also are important actors, important players in the fabric of our society. And during the last couple of years of the Obama administration, in excess of 100,000 cases were closed around the country. And those courts only focused on people who essentially didn't have any relief. But the moment has dramatically changed. And so what do we do? Well, what, we do what we always do. I mean, we organize. Our strength is in, is in our communities. You know, I'm a lawyer, but you don't look to the law for remedies. You look to the community for remedies because that's where our lives contemporaneously exist, where our suffering exists and where our victories are to be had. And so we organize. What we've, what we've done in Tucson is we've created something called the Keep Tucson Together Community Clinic. It's a wholly pro bono legal clinic. At the moment, we represent 800 families, Tucson families that are in removal. Uh, for example, during the Obama years, we assisted families in closing probably 1,000 open cases in the Tucson courts. And we also processed thousands of DACA applications and work permits and that kind of thing. But when I say we, what I mean is community. And community is people that clean houses all day or people that uh, have white collar jobs or school teachers or retired judges or just anybody. Because we firmly believe that one shouldn't sell knowledge. In other words, you shouldn't have to hire a lawyer to figure out what your rights are and what your remedies are. 
And so what our clinics do and what our goals are is to demystify the law for everyone. We have clinics at a high school. We haven't had one now for a couple of months because the high school's been closed. And we have clinics in churches every weekend and the high school every Thursday night. And we call on everyone who's there to listen and learn. And everything that they learn about the particulars of their case and about their rights and about demanding that ICE agents have a search warrant before they come in their house and about not being afraid, that they don't hold on to that information for their own use and let it stop, but that they are messengers and organizers. And when they leave the school or they leave the church, they carry the word to their families, to their coworkers, to the people that they go to church with, to their neighbors. And that's the way that we protect community. And community is responsive. Community is alive. Community is vibrant. Community is like a huge sponge waiting to have information and knowledge deposited so that it can suck it up and then twist it out and share it with everyone else. And that's our fundamental belief about community service, is that the way that we really are able to mobilize community action is to demystify the law and give people the skills and the information and the knowledge that they need, not only to defend themselves, but to defend their families, their neighbors, and their communities. You are listening to excerpts from the Community Organizing and Legal Justice in the Borderlands conversation with attorney and activist Margot Cowan from the Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. So we come to this moment, and this is a truly, truly horrific moment in immigration history, a shameful moment for our country. There's just no, no question about it, shameful. The detention facilities in Arizona are full, and they're full of people who have COVID-19. And those people, when someone becomes sick, are not segregated, are not taken to a hospital. There aren't medical units set up in the detention facilities, but rather everyone is put together in pods together, death pods together. And we, you know, a couple of months ago began to receive reports and letters from folks detained and calls from family members describing these horrific conditions that people are held in. One of the facilities in Eloy, Arizona, that houses about 4,000 people, it's a, it's a contract facility, a core civic facility. And so before people were given face masks, they had to sign a waiver of liability or they didn't get a face mask. And those face masks are to be used once and disposed of. And people were given a mask one time and weren't given another one. Uh, there wasn't soap in the sinks. People would complain of shortness of breath, of chest pain, of, of body aches, of high fever. And they would ask to see the doctor and a fellow that we just bonded out a couple of weeks ago said he put in request after request to be seen by the doctor and he was never seen. 
And our protocol is when we bond people out, we take them to a facility, they're immediately tested and they're quarantined until uh, the result comes back. And if they're positive, they're quarantined 14 more days. They see a doctor every single day. Their questions are answered. Their families receive counseling. That's day and night compared to what goes on in the detention facilities. And so one has to ask why, why is it like that? And we can't, we can't just sort of look at superficial explanations for why. Well, we don't have the capacity to test. Well, we don't have the capacity to social distance. No, it's, it's much more, it's darker and it's much more nefarious. Under this administration, I'm convinced that this administration wants these people to die in detention. This is a death sentence, this is purposeful. And the other piece of that puzzle is, is that if they're not gonna die in detention, at least this administration wants them to say, I can't suffer anymore, just deport me. It doesn't matter if I've lived here for 20 years. It doesn't matter if my kids are all US citizens, my spouse is a US citizen. I've always paid taxes, I'm buying my house. None of that matters. I've always contributed. I'm a part of the fabric of my community and my church. You know, I coach the soccer team. My skin is the wrong color. And that's the real deal. And that's where we are today. So what do you do? Our clinic of, of all volunteer troops dedicated to doing anything we can to liberate people from these death traps, produce bond package after bond package, affidavits after affidavits, humanitarian parole applications after humanitarian parole applications. And we tell the stories to the media and we console families and we push the courts and we push them every day. We push them 20 or 30 times a day. We demand that they set hearings. We don't let go. We're like that dog that bites your foot. We don't let go. We never let go. We won't let go until everybody is out of these death traps. Yesterday, the Congress people that represent Southern Arizona, Congresswoman Kirkpatrick and Congressman Grijalva sent a letter to two undersecretaries in ICE and uh, Benny Thompson, who is chair of the, the House Homeland Security Oversight Committee, signed on to the letter as did Ruben Gallego, another Arizona congressman and a couple of other people demanding an investigation into the practice of denying humanitarian paroles, holding people in custody, not giving them um, access to medical care, treating them in a torturous way to either force them to self-deport or to die in custody. But this is only be the beginning because we know we know the way the house is treated and how departments, US departments, um, justice, homeland security respond to members of the House of Representatives. So we're also engaged in a campaign to bring national attention to the national press to these detention facilities. At the moment, I think that the figure uh, as, of, as of yesterday was that there were 75 cases in La Palma. That's one of the detention facilities in Eloy. 
And there's no testing in these facilities. You're only tested when you're, when you're really, really sick. And so if there's 75 cases of people who are still in detention, not in the hospital, but still in detention, who come up positive, it's more likely than not that the true rate of infection in these facilities is closer to 90 or 95%. The other piece of the puzzle that I wanna share with you that I think is very important. You know, these detention facilities are built in places like Eloy, a farm worker community where the farms have, have long been abandoned for more lucrative use of the land. And so who works in the detention facilities? Largely people of color, largely people that come from an economy where there are no alternatives. And so not only is the government putting the people that are detained in a position to contract the virus and suffer and die, but these corporations look at these you know, working class, people of color, employees, and their families as being disposable people. Because guess what? There's a whole bunch more in line who need that minimum wage job. So the situation in detention, and I don't doubt, I, I'm sure that the situation in detention across America is the same. Here in Arizona, there are three detention facilities and I would guess there probably are close to 7,000 people in detention. They go up and down, being all shut down or four pods shut down. And in a pod, there can be 125 people. Imagine 125 people living in close quarters with a significant percentage of them who are positive and not just positive, they're sick and they're suffering. A young man called our office this last week he said, I can't breathe, I have chest pain, I'm scared to death, I don't wanna die in ICE custody. I don't wanna die in ICE custody. I have no doubt that the same situation exists across America. And what happens with these courts is the courts are in the detention facilities. And so when there are these outbreaks, the judges and the staff and everybody else run and they, they go off to Phoenix and they say, we're not having court anymore. It's too dangerous. We can't be in those facilities. So there are no judges to hear these bond applications. There are no judges to grant relief because they just all run off. And they say, well, the immigration court's closed this week. No, it's closed next week. No, it's closed the next week. No, it's closed the next week. So people are literally held without a remedy, without being able to go before a judge and say, give me a bond. Hey, I've been here for 20 years. Give me a bond. It's very difficult at the moment. So I call on all of us, all of you, to look for the detention facilities in your communities, to, to look at who's doing advocacy around those centers, to get in touch with your members of Congress and to advocate for the people that are held in detention because they certainly, those voices are certainly not being heard on the inside. It is an extremely dangerous situation. We publicized last week 
the release of a couple of fellows that we got out, one who had been sick for about a month and was having chest pains and was having difficulty breathing. And when he was bonded, he immediately tested positive. And he went on Univision and, and Telemundo and told his story. And Univision and Telemundo told the Spanish-speaking world, shared his story. We have to find ways to share those stories in America to the mainline press and calling on this administration to be responsible and to stop the killing. These are really, really difficult times, particularly for people that are in detention. And it's difficult to talk to families and console families because we share their anger. We don't say it's okay. We say it's not okay. And we say, get in touch with your elected officials. And they do, and the elected officials act, and there's no response. It's a very, very dangerous situation. But we never give up. And that's what it means to engage in effective community organizing. When we are faced with the deadliest and the most tragic and the most heart-wrenching presentations, what we must do, what our obligation is, is to take our sadness, turn our sadness into action. We must always be creative. We must find those points where we can bring pressure. We must mobilize the community. No one in the community is afraid. Nobody's hiding. Everybody's up front. Every voice has to be heard. And so those of us that work in community facilitate lifting up of those voices. So that it's not Margot Cowan appearing on the news, it's Melchor Tesoquipa and his boys. They'll never forget those US citizen boys, what they did to his dad. And they are tomorrow's leaders. When we demystify the law and when we not empower because people have power, people just need a little help connecting the dots. When we do that, when we facilitate that, there's no end to the power of community. And we can't forget that. It's very painful. It's painful. But we can't ever forget the power of community. And we can't ever go stale, you know? We can't go stale. And, and for those of us that act in community, our responsibility and really our gift is to, is to make those connections and to open the doors so that community voices sing loud and clear for themselves. And they sing the truth and they hold our government accountable. And we're there with them. We're there with them doing whatever we can to support. We have to understand that community holds the ultimate strength. And much of what we see in our country today as a matter of fact, is, is community in action, holding our, our governments, our police officers accountable, not for the violence of yesterday, but for the historic violence upon which our country is based. You've been listening to excerpts from Community Organizing and Legal Justice in the Borderlands with attorney and activist Margot Cowan from the Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson.
More information about Keep Tucson Together is available at keeptucsontogether.org. Since 2004, a group of committed people has coordinated an annual week-long 75-mile walk from Sasebe, Sonora, Mexico to Tucson, Arizona to call for an end to migrant deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border and to stand in solidarity with victims of global migration. In May 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, participants were unable to physically unite to remember those who have died crossing. In order to continue to raise awareness about migrant deaths and to help raise money for local border justice organizations, organizers launched an alternative migrant trail walk experience to bring people together in a virtual environment. More information is available at azmigranttrail.com. This is part seven of a multi-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.